Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. This is Dr. Casey Patrick, and joining me today is our Quality Chief, Kevin Crocker. Hello, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about a new literature article that we passed around here at MCHD. But before we dive into the article and the subject, I want to tell you really the driving factor behind looking at this. And it really was a case that I had recently in the emergency department. And the patient was an 18-year-old, and she presented with seizure episodes. And it was a busy shift. I went into the room. She was awake. She was alert. You know, GCS of 15, fairly normal vital signs, and she had described multiple seizure episodes over the past hour. She had been brought in by EMS and actually gotten midazolam en route. So she had been treated appropriately for epilepsy. And, you know, from my standpoint, going forward there, known seizures, now well, normal neurologic exam. She didn't have anything that looked like infection. It was a relatively straightforward workup for me at that point. Now, I hadn't peeled back through her medical history at all. Um, You know, I had three or four other patients to see. So I entered, you know, the basic stuff and really had already planned in my mind to observe her for a short time period, make sure that she didn't have any anti-epileptic drugs that needed levels checked. You know, her neurologic exam was normal. There was no need for a head CT, you know, a meningitis workup, anything like that. So I was 90% done in my head. I went to see patient one, went to see patient two, went to see patient three, and I got called by the nurse. Hey, the girl in bed 10 is, is seizing. So I went back in the room and I mean, her heart rate was 135, 140. She had tonic-clonic movements. Uh, she had gaze deviation. If I told you the patient had that, what would you tell me it was? I'd say it's a seizure. It's a seizure, right? This is an, an epileptic seizure. Absolutely. Right? So I gave her some more midazolam, and she broke, fortunately. And I thought, hmm, I need to go check her records. So I went and checked her records, and she had actually just been admitted to the hospital I was working actually a couple times in the past couple weeks, and had been worked up really, really thoroughly uh, by the neurology service with video EEG among a million other tests. And looking at the results closely from the video EEG, it really looked like to the neurologist that her episodes were psychogenic seizures non-epileptic seizures. The artist formerly known as pseudo-seizures, now known as psychogenic non-epileptic seizures, or P-N-E-S is the the acronym there. I'm going to stick with psychogenic non-epileptic seizures for obvious reasons. Um, But it was really tough because she had a clear documented history, very thorough subspecialist workup of psychogenic episodes And what I saw in the room and what the nurse saw in the room clearly looked all the world to me like epilepsy. So I treated her with benzos. She resolved. I observed her for a couple hours in the ED. She didn't have any further episodes. 
So now I'm deciding, okay, I saw this. This looks seizure-like. The chart says psychogenic episodes. What do I do with this patient? So I, I called the neurologist and I said, hey, I don't think this patient needs to come in the hospital. But she was taken off her antiepileptic drugs during that stay because of the thought that these were psychogenic episodes. So they were going to focus more on the psychiatry route as opposed to the neurology route. But hey, I saw this in the ED. And the neurologist was less than friendly, uh, less than kind and was very adamant that she had video EEG. These are psychogenic episodes, you know, for lack of a better term, don't bother me anymore. And I was really frustrated by the interaction because yeah, I get that that all was done, but he was pretty quick in discounting anything that I saw there in the ED, you know, and this wasn't um, an anxious patient. You know, he was like, well, she was probably flopping in the floor, quote unquote. And I'm like, no, she was in the bed with gaze deviation, generalized tonic clonic, you know, classic activity and a heart rate of 140, like all of the autonomic signs, gaze signs, like it, it was all there. It was, a, I mean, I would have bet you my leg it was a seizure. So I left really, really frustrated. I ended up letting her go. She actually had a couple repeat ED visits after that because I kind of followed her to see what would happen. And she ended up getting readmitted and put back on her anaphylactic drugs on down the line, which I think was appropriate. But it just led me to think, like, you know, are we treating these patients appropriately? You know, what is the, you know, coexistence rate of psychogenic seizures and true epilepsy? Are they always separate or does the Venn diagram overlap? And then randomly on Twitter, I saw an article which really kind of brought everything together. So before we move on, you dropped a little knowledge bomb there. You talked about a new term that most of us probably have never heard or not familiar with. We we know the, the pseudo-seizure term. We've all heard that and worked around that. But the PNES, the psychogenic non-epileptic seizures, kind of give a review of that. That's a new term for us. What, what does that mean? Where did it come from? And realistically, psychogenic non-epileptic seizures does encompass what we were all taught back in the day whenever we train, because this is a relatively new term, that describes pseudo-seizures. It's just the more appropriate term today is psychogenic non-epileptic seizures. These are, are a real difficult entities to deal with. And looking at some of the neurology literature, which is where we're going to delve into a, a little bit, which is something that I don't often do. It's enough to try to keep up with EMS literature and emergency medicine literature. I don't have a bunch of spare time to sit and look at you know, the neurology journal. But this is one that we all see paramedics, emergency nurses, emergency physicians. This is a, a common complaint. And psychogenic non-epileptic seizures account for a quarter of admissions to EEG units. So we're not very good at teasing these out, right? Five to 20% of psychogenic non-epileptic seizure patients also have epilepsy. So there's your Venn diagram overlap. So I know I was taught that if the patient is talking through the episode, asynchronous movements, those sort of things, like it's obviously a quote unquote pseudo seizure and it's not quote unquote real. Well, again, up to a fifth of these psychogenic episode patients also have epilepsy. So what we're going to continue to hit on as we talk through this, is it might be a good idea for us to back off our high horse just a little bit to get a diagnosis of psychogenic non-epileptic seizures, to get it right and to get it hard and fast on the chart takes eight years on average. That's amazing. So these are tough. Yeah, absolutely. These are tough to work through. And the gold standard diagnosis is video EEG monitoring. And that's what she had had, right? So yep. she had had that two weeks before, a week before. And I'm as sure as I'm standing here and it's 2021 and my name is Casey Patrick, that patient had a seizure, an epileptic seizure, 
in front of me. So again, you've all been taught this as pseudo seizures. Here's your pearl number one for today. Change your terminology. They're psychogenic non-epileptic seizures. So yeah. So I guess where did this, where did the literature come to? You talked about you did a neurology review of, of this uh, condition. What did that look like? Where did you get it from? What were the, the, the data that you found in that review? Well, this is one where I have to thank social media and we love to bag on social media these days and it wastes our time and rots our brain and all those things that we say it does to us and our children. Um, but this is one that came across my, my Twitter feed that I'm thankful that I saw. It really was, it was a fairly, uh, I don't know, serendipitous find because I just had this patient and then probably a month later, this has all been in the past six months or so. Yeah. So a month later saw this article. The algorithm heard you and then showed you the article. <laughs> Big brother was listening. Absolutely. Um, this was a, a neurology study and we'll link the, the study in the show notes so everybody can look it up. It was a retrospective cohort study. So looking backwards at admissions to three video EEG monitoring units in Australia. And they looked at diagnosis and mortality in these patients between 1995 and 2015. So 20 year cross section. Impressive that anybody could pay attention and keep records for that long. Absolutely. Uh, primarily Victoria, Australia, with the major city there being Melbourne. They did a chart review and they linked the patient charts to the National Death Index in Australia and looked at, okay, these patients get admitted to the video EG monitoring unit. What's their risk of mortality? Now, you can poke holes here and we'll talk about some of the holes as we move on. But again, as someone who's dipped their toes into research, you take on something as large as this and you look at a time period as long as this, kudos to the researchers. I'm, I'm not going to poke too many holes here because this was a really mammoth undertaking. For the diagnosis portion of the outcomes, the patients were separated into three groups, psychogenic non-epileptic seizures or epilepsy or both. So pretty simple and straightforward. They either had psychogenic seizures, epileptic seizures, or they were a patient that was one of those, you know, one in 20 to one in five that have both. Video EEG monitoring in these patients saw an event and no epileptiform EEG activity. They were labeled as psychogenic seizures. That makes sense, right? Yeah, patient absolutely. had a spell, looked at the EEG brainwaves, saw no epileptic activity, psychogenic event. Video EEG monitoring saw an event that correlated with epileptiform activity, that was epilepsy. So that makes common sense, right? They were yep. watching these patients with the video. They saw and timed the spell, the motor portion yep. of the event. Then they looked at the EEG electrical activity and correlated those two. Okay. So makes sense, right? Makes perfect sense. Okay. So 20 years is a very long time for a study. So how many patients did they enroll and what did they find in the, the final results section? So they had 5,500 admissions to the video EEG monitoring units. And they found that 674 had psychogenic episodes, about 3,000 had epilepsy, 175 had both, and there were almost 1,600 labeled as other. So again, there was a portion that had psychogenic episodes, there was a portion that had epilepsy, there was that really tough, you know, 175 that had both, and there was a large group of, of others, and we'll hit on those in a second. Brain tumor patients were excluded, in case you're wondering about any exclusionary criteria. And that makes sense because those patients are going to have entirely different issues based on increased intracranial pressure and edema and all the things that go along with brain masses. 
the real kicker in the study, and this is the bold in my notes, this is the second take-home point. So your first take-home point is, is there's a name change here. And then the second take-home point is that when you looked at the patients with psychogenic seizures and you compared them to the patients with epilepsy, I want you to listen to the numbers here. These are the mortality numbers over this 20-year period. There was an 8.2% mortality rate in patients with psychogenic non-epileptic seizures. There was a 9.4% mortality rate in the patients diagnosed with strict epilepsy. And again, if you're gonna get admitted to the hospital and have video EEG monitoring, these are your treatment resistant epilepsy patients. 8.2% and 9.4% is your mortality rate in the two separate groups, which tells us what? There's no significant difference there. Your mortality rate from psychogenic non-epileptic seizures is the same as your mortality rate from treatment resistant epilepsy. That's huge. These patients are really, really sick, right? Yeah. And if you take the patients, the smaller group that had both, their mortality rate was 8% as well. So when you take all these patients as a whole, you know, they've got a mortality rate of almost 10%. Yeah. And that's a risky group. Like you don't really think of your seizure patients as being that risky of a group. But when you look at those numbers like that, that's a very high mortality rate. And again, these, to be clear, these aren't your seizure patients who have a single seizure or two and get put on Keppra or Depakote or one of our anti-epileptic medications and never go to the hospital. These are our hospitalized seizure patients who are getting video EEG monitoring. So these are our treatment resistant epilepsy patients. But the real kicker here is that the mortality rate of the psychogenic seizure patients is just as high. Yeah. And it's a high number. It's a, that, almost 10%. That's huge, 1 in 10. Yep. So when you compare standard population relative risk of death, the death rate in the psychogenic seizure group is increased almost tenfold as compared to a normal patient less than 30 years old. When you take those patients in that subset who are less than 30. So having psychogenic non-epileptic seizures increases your death rate relative to the same age patient almost tenfold. That's huge. There's no significant difference, again, in mortality between epilepsy and psychogenic seizures. 24% of the psychogenic seizure group had a cause of death listed as what? Here's going to be uh, the surprise for you. So they were seen in the hospital. They had video EEG monitoring. They had an episode looked at the EEG, it didn't correlate with epilepsy, so they were called psychogenic non-epileptic seizures and sent home. They went home, and over that 20-year period, they happened to die. And what was listed on their National Death Index cause of death? Epilepsy, right? <laughs> so, again, there's lots of reasons why you could have miscommunication here, and you could make, and this could potentially be correct or incorrect. The real bottom line that I want you to take home as we move through this is these are really difficult to tease apart, right? These, you know, they went back even in these patients, these 24% of psychogenic patients who had a final death diagnosis of epilepsy, and they went and re-reviewed the video EEG results from their hospitalizations. And it wasn't like they missed. Right. The EEG didn't correlate with epilepsy during those hospital stays. Yet they still died and still had a, a death diagnosis of epilepsy. 20% of the psychogenic non-epileptic seizure group had deaths due to suicide or po poisoning. Now, that seems like a pretty high number, right? 20%. Um, the rate of suicide and or poisoning in the general population, just for comparison, is about 6%. 
and in epileptic patients, around 10%. So it was about three times the general population and double the group with epilepsy. So they are at high risk for self-harm and, you know, intentional ingestion. And furthermore, the psychogenic non-epileptic seizure patients were more likely to live in the lowest socioeconomic areas, which is another, you know, social determinant of health sort of uh, issue that really makes this group of patients vulnerable and, um, you know, really at high risk. Yeah. So I have a question. The other 1,595 patients, what is in that category? Because that seems pretty broad to me. So what, what did they classify as an other? That was difficult for me to tease out. Um, you know, they definitely would have added to the data. So I think the others were ones realistically that were missing or unclear. Um, okay. And, you know, you and I have worked together on chart review projects mm -hmm. here in the uh, clinical department at MCHD and going through and trying to extract chart data retrospectively oftentimes there's holes, right? And so I would assume these are unclear, you know, maybe missing, missing data or, you know, confusing, confounding data. It's tough to tell from the study. Okay. So you could, you could do statistical tricks here and say, well, what if these 1595 were true seizures? And what if they were all psychogenic? I don't want to get too bogged down in the stats end of it, other than to say, yeah, it would be nice to know what those 1595 were, and they definitely would have added to the data, but I prefer to concentrate on what we what we know from this and what we should ask for going forward. You know, what kind of studies do we need going forward? And obviously, prospective as, oppo as opposed to retrospective is, is always going to be what we're going to ask for. Sure. Take any journal club paper review that we do here, and it's a retrospective study, and you can guarantee somebody's going to say prospective studies are needed. Yeah. And that's really where we end up. In the end, there were only 55 deaths in the psychogenic non-epileptic seizure group, so still a relatively small number. So yeah. that that's a that's a, a potential issue. Some cause of death data was missing, obviously over a 20-year period. It's just you know right. Computer computers barely existed for patient charting in 1995, so yeah. that makes perfect sense. There was a lot of paper digging through, probably. Absolutely. But in the end, this is the largest data set looking at psychogenic non-epileptic seizure mortality. So I would say, again, while there are holes here, this is really a, a heavy lift and really gives us some information that we didn't have before this study uh, came out. Okay. Is there any other research that exists uh, in this area? So just in my cursory look, and if you're a neurologist or a psychiatrist out there, you very well may have more than this and, and have other studies to add. But my you know, baseline level look uh, found two prior psychogenic non-epileptic seizure mortality-based studies. There was one from Scotland with 260 patients, and it showed increased rate of premature death, just like this study. There was also one from Denmark that had 470-plus patients, and it showed a three-times, three-fold increase in mortality in psychogenic non-epileptic seizure patients uh, with increased psychiatric disease diagnosis as well. So yes, there's two other mortality-based studies. They're quite a bit smaller, um, but they're all really consistent in that these patients die at a higher rate. Yeah, so they, they all seem to track in the same direction that increased mortality with that diagnosis. So um, I guess you're, you're taking it home, final points. Like, what do you think is important for the listeners to know? Well, I'm gonna mea culpa myself first before I start to throw stones at any of the listeners out there. 
we've all been guilty of going into rooms. I, I'm going to assume you have. I know that I have. Absolutely. We're taught that pseudo seizures are what? Not real. Absolutely. Right? So you have a patient that's talking to you. I'm having a seizure as they're having their motor activity spell. And what, what, did I, what have I done in the past? What have we all done in the past? We looked at that patient and looked them square in the face and said, this is not real. Well, we need to flush that from our brains from our practice pattern and get rid of it, right? We don't know a lot about psychogenic non-epileptic seizures. It's clear from this data. We don't understand it. We don't diagnose it very well. Eight year time to diagnosis, all this overlap between epilepsy and psychogenic events. We need to, I think as a emergency provider group, that's EMS, that's nurses in the emergency department, that's emergency physicians. We need to take a step back, look at this and say, man, these patients die at a super high rate, right? Yep. And we don't have a very good treatment paradigm for this. And looking at these patients in the face and telling them what you're experiencing is not real, it is real. It may not be epilepsy, but it's something, and it causes them to die and be, uh, you know, ill at a very, very, very high rate relative to the baseline population. So be kind, be empathetic, period. The end, start from there. And that's really take-home point number three, is that psychogenic non-epileptic seizures is a real disease. It may not be epilepsy, but it is risky. The risk of premature death goes up. The risk of suicide and intentional ingestion and self-harm goes up. We need to take these patients seriously and, and be kind and empathetic because if we have nothing else to offer them, which right now we don't have a whole lot, these are tough. You know, do they go to neurology? Do they go to psychiatry? This is tough for me and the ED to direct these patients. The least I can do is be kind and empathetic. Eliminate the idea, because I put in parentheses in my notes here, if it still exists, comma, hopefully not. I know it still exists. I see it every day in the ED. We see it on the trucks. I know it exists, that these patients are, quote, fakers, unquote. You know, it may not be epilepsy. Okay, that's fine. It may be epilepsy tomorrow, though. We know there's a huge overlap here, you yep. know, five to 20%. We know that patients get sent to the hospital, have video EEG monitoring that's negative, called psychogenic events, and then die and have epilepsy put on their, on their uh, death certificate, right? So they're not fakers. They have some problem. It may not be epilepsy per se, but it's a bad problem, right? Beware of being too certain, right? This is the high horse portion of the talk. You know, 3% of video EEG monitoring admits had both events during their hospital stay. So there were documented cases of patients who went in and had what we would have called a pseudo seizure and a seizure in the same 48, 72 hour stay. And again, almost a quarter of psychogenic non-epileptic seizure deaths in this study were labeled on the death certificate as epilepsy. So it's pretty clear here that this is a confusing, difficult hard to tease out patient population. And when we see these patients on the front end, let's be open-minded and assume the worst. That, that's what we do as emergency providers, right? Every chest pain is what until proven otherwise. It's a STEMI. Right? Every altered mental status is what until proven otherwise. Stroke. Right? So every event with tonic-clonic movements, let's just start practicing that as it's a seizure until proven otherwise, an epileptic seizure. And if we think it's not an epileptic seizure because it's really clear, then let's say, okay, it's a psychogenic seizure. It's real too. Their mortality rate is 10%. Right. It's huge, right? 
These patients are struggling medically. They're struggling socially. High rates of suicide, high rates of ingestion. You know, be aware of those things and mindful. The mortality of psychogenic non-epileptic seizures is equal to that of treatment-resistant epilepsy. We need more research. We need better treatment options. And the last thing we need to do as, you know, pre-hospital and emergency providers is to walk in and look at somebody and tell them what they're experiencing is not real and that they're fakers. It's just, there's no way, shape, or form in my mind that that could ever be helpful or ever be positive. So good spot to wrap it up. Kevin, thanks for joining us today. Anything you want to add? No, I think that was perfect. Kind of a a good moral we learned when we were in kindergarten. Be kind to people, right? Be kind, right? Let's start there. If we start on that foundation, we're going to be all right. As always, if you have questions or ideas for additional podcasts, shoot us an email, podcast at mchd-tx.org. We like you to leave likes and reviews wherever you listen to your podcast. And as always, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. The reference is linked in the show notes. Have a good day, everybody. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.